This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning, you're listening to Raise Your Game. I'm Christine Wong, and we often discuss on the show what really makes a good leader. But today, I'm specifically discussing how speed, agility, and humility are more important than ever for leaders with entrepreneur, investment banker, former Minister of Trade for Indonesia, and also philanthropist Gita Wurjawan. So uh, thank you very much, Gita, for joining me on today's show. Thank you, Christine, for inviting me. All right. You have a very long and uh, varied career history, primarily the founding of Encore Group and your various public service roles as well. Based on that, in general, how do you think our approach to what we need from our leaders has changed? I think we can focus the conversation on where the millennials and the Generation Z are demanding more and more mm-hmm. off and from, right? Uh, I'm, I'm quite excited and, and optimistic uh, about the fact that more of these, you know, generations uh, are willing to engage in conversations that are actually horizontal as opposed to vertical. What I mean by that is they, they, they try to draw a correlation between what's happening in a particular dimension or vertical vis-a-vis what's happening in the other vertical or dimension. And, and to, to peel the onion a little bit more, uh, I think what matters to more and more of these two generations is what's going to happen to the planet, i.e. the climate, i.e. how the climate is changing faster than ever. That, that in a way, I think, forces a good chunk of the two generations uh, to basically focus on what matters in the long run as opposed to what matters in the short and medium run. Mm. And that, to me, makes, uh, makes me very happy. So in terms of what they want from anybody in a position of leadership, be it you know, be he or she in a social enterprise, public enterprise, or private enterprise, you know, what they say and what they do have got to matter in the context of prolonging our life expectancy and prolonging the planet's life expectancy. Uh, and, and that, I think, is, is a good thing, as opposed to some of the earlier conversational piece that I would have been hearing from these two generations. Uh, they would have basically been propagating to the world that, you know, you should try to fail fast, right? I, I, I don't quite believe in, in the philosophy of failing fast. I, I, I'm a bigger believer of the philosophy of failing long or failing late, Uh, Failing fast basically seduces you to think uh, very, very short term and long term. So uh, to the extent that more and more of uh, the members of generation, you know, uh, Y and Zs uh, are actually uh, engaged in conversations that matter for the long run, uh, I think that's going to be good. The other piece that's also good for the long run uh, is also how we can actually game change the inequality that we're seeing more and more in developed economies and also developing economies. I mean, it's pretty stark, you know, in terms of the Gini coefficient ratios in countries like, you know, some, I will not name the countries, but, you know, most of the ASEAN countries, you know, have Gini coefficient ratios hovering, you know, around 40%, if not above. Uh, that's not a good thing. Even some of the developed economies such as China and the U.S. are with Gini coefficient ratios of 48 and 49. Uh, that, that only reflects upon the degree of inequality that's just 
unacceptable. And and I think to a large extent, this is attributable to the fact that, you know, many developed economies have been printing money more than ever and more than should uh, to the extent that, you know, a good chunk of this liquidity has been trapped in just the capital markets. It hasn't really trickled down to the bottom parts of the pyramid. Mm-hmm. And that that's not a good thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged by the fact that more members of the two generations that are youthful uh, being engaged in, in, in conversations that are long uh, in nature and demanding, uh, you know, from their leaderships uh, more and more of uh, this sort of a, you know, a thinking posture. Mm. It sounds to me that basically what you're saying is what the younger generations are are thinking about when it comes to leadership is this need for long-term thought and um, also a sort of demand uh, for that transparency and communication with uh, with uh, people in leadership roles as well. Do you think that, uh, particularly, I guess, in, uh, in the Asian region, uh, do you think we do enough to create and support uh, this generation of future leaders as well? Not enough. I mean, if, if you're, you're talking about what the public uh, enterprise is doing uh, for the private enterprise members uh, in, in getting engaged more and more, no. But the, 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 good, the good thing about it is, is, is there's a lot of liquidity in the world, right? There's a lot of money right now that's chasing, chasing narratives, chasing pieces, uh, that's been propagated by, you know, many of these, uh, you know, uh, millennials and Generation Z members. Uh, and and a, a lot of the mandates uh, from the, the liquidity holders uh, all over the world, predominantly in, in liberal d- democracy countries, uh, is, is mandating that, you know, we, we look into how we can actually, you know, see much better financial inclusiveness in more parts of the world. And how we could actually see, you know, how we can preserve the planet a little bit better. So it, it, it allows you to basically think, uh, you know, more long term. And at the rate that, you know, this liquidity is being held by the private sector, there's, there's what, about $100 trillion worth of liquidity, uh, you know, that's floating around. Uh, it's in a form of M2 Uh that's floating around chasing. So to the extent that many of the private entrepreneurs that are youthful, uh, that can come up with the cool thesis uh, that's actually being chased by this liquidity, I mean, uh, we're probably not going to need, uh, you know, as much support from the public enterprise as, as uh, you know, we, we should. Uh, now, not saying, not, I'm not discounting, uh, you know, the, the, the need or the requirement even uh, for the public enterprise to be helpful to this cause. But, you know, if you, we take a look at the governments in Southeast Asian countries, you know, they're limited by, you know, whatever fiscal space they have, you know, at the rate that they're only collecting about, you know, between 11 to 15 percent uh, of their GDPs in terms of tax collections, uh, which is not a great thing because the typical OECD countries, you know, they have tax ratios of more than 30 percent. Uh, so with that sort of a limitation and with, you know, the pervasive amounts of liquidity that's available out there, all we got to do is just basically sharpen the thesis and, you know, attach these ideas or thesis with, you know, whatever money that's out there. Mm. I think that's, that's, that's gonna, that's gonna be very helpful. 
okay. to, to our ability to think long term. All right. I want to kind of uh, zoom in a little bit on your personal experience, having been, you know, in various leadership positions uh, across the scope of your career, uh, in particular, looking at, I guess, the more uh, public service roles that you've served, um, like, for example, your previous role as Minister of Trade of Indonesia. Can you share a valuable lesson you learned from having to take on a leadership role so that is so subject to public scrutiny? Look, I mean, you know, being a public servant, uh, one, one of the toughest parts about being a public servant is that you got to you got to have a thick face, right? Because you're being scrutinized under the microscope, under the telescope, under the Hubble telescope, uh, because people from afar, such as yourself, you know, would actually pay attention to what they say, what they do uh, physically. Uh, that that makes it you know, imperative for any public servant to have a thick face. Uh, and, and number two, I think there is a lot of applicability of the stuff that you can do well in or the stuff that you can do badly in, you know, in private enterprise uh, with respect to what you do in a private, uh, the, the public enterprise. Uh, and it, it really boils down to your ability to uh, surround yourself with the right people. And, and if you want to do well in business, you got to make sure that you surround yourself with people who can actually uh, give you ideas, who can actually, you know, make you think and rethink. And, and the same goes with public service. Uh, at any rate, you've got to find the right people to be able to surround you so that you can have the necessary conversation that matters to the people that you're supposed to serve. Uh, some, if not many, people that are put in a in in, in a public service uh, position, uh, they somehow cannot surround themselves with people who can actually engage uh, in the right conversation that matters for the people that they're supposed to serve. I think that's that's essentially the the the, the distinction between uh, doing well as a public servant and not doing well as a public servant. It's the it's the company that you surround yourself and I guess not engaging with like blatant yes men all the time, I suppose, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and you know, if, if you surround yourself with the let's say the first echelon, then you check and recheck, right? With the second echelon, with the third echelon, with the fourth echelon, and and you 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 never forget to basically cross check with the outside world because you know what you say, what you utter, what you do. Uh, actually, you know, have implications on how people outside perceive you. And, and you know, uh, the, the other part is that, you know, sometimes you, you lose focus on, on just basically sticking to your earlier intuition. Just because somebody out there says, whatever you're saying, whatever you're doing sucks. It may suck, okay, in a short run. But, you know, you've got to be steadfast and resolute that, you know, it's going to pay off in the midterm and long term. Mm. And, and that, that, I think, is, is a product of the quality of conversations you have with the people around you. Absolutely. All right. It's time for a short break for some messages right now. But after that, I will continue my conversation with Gita Rojawan all about leadership. So do stay tuned to Raise Your Game here on BFM 89.9. Begin Fun Moments. BFM 89.9 
the business station. This is Raise Your Game. I'm Christine Wong. And today on the line with me is uh, Gita Vrjawan. He is an entrepreneur. He is a philanthropist. He also was the former uh, Minister of Trade of Indonesia as well. And before the break, we were talking about, you know, kind of what uh, the current younger generations sort of are demanding from leaders at the moment, as well as the idea of taking on a leadership role that is subject to public scrutiny, like being a public servant as well. Now, I I do want to talk a little bit about uh, there are three sort of uh, traits that I believe have come into a greater uh, importance or spotlight, I guess, especially throughout 2020. Um, The first one I want to discuss with you is speed. Um, I think one of the biggest things that, um, you know, we've seen in, I guess, not just this year, but the past, I would say even decade is this sort of fast forwarding or this increase in speed of, you know, development around the world. So to you, why is speed an important quality for a leader to prioritize? We've, we've seen this in the data space, right? In the digital space. Gordon Moore was accurate in 1965 when he predicted, you know, the memory chips are going to double in capacity and speed every couple of years until today. And it's, it's likely that it's going to continue for another decade or two at the very least. The problem with that is that, you know, it creates solutions, but it also creates problems. The fact that the problems are moving at an exponential rate, uh, while at the same time, the policymaking uh, bodies are actually moving at less than exponential rates, that makes it even more problematic, right? Mm. Because you've got to make sure that the rate at which, you know, the solutions and problems are moving are exponential, but how you actually frame the conversations, how you actually frame development, you know, so that it benefits everybody. It doesn't just benefit the few. Uh, it's it's got to involve the right people in the right conversations that could also understand the exponentiality of the development of the problems, so that you can actually come up with solutions in an exponential matter. So that, I think, punctuates your point that speed is, is, is predominantly important, uh, you know, for coming up with the, the, the necessary framework uh, so that, you know, everybody's happy, not just some people are happy. Uh, the, the second, I, I think it's, it's with respect to like what I alluded to earlier, I, I like to talk about climate change as of late mm-hmm. because, you know, as much as more and more people are getting engaged in the right conversations about preserving the, the climate, preserving the planet, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, our day-to-day behavior is not reflective of the need for us to preserve the planet, Right. And that, I think, also punctuates the requirement, if not need, for us to be speedy in coming up with a solution. Uh, I'm, I'm quite happy with the fact that, you know, if we take a look at the electric vehicles uh, space, how they've been able to collapse cost from a battery pack standpoint. You know, they've been able to basically collapse cost, you know, for, you know, every kilowatt at less than $150. That basically tells everybody that it's already at parity with fossil fuel energy production. Now, to the extent that we can actually lower the cost of producing battery pack at one kilowatt uh, 
at less than $150 to let's say $140, $130, $120, or even below $100, that actually makes it much more compelling for not only the producers to increase the production you know, exponentially, but also for the users to actually use or increase the usage you know, exponentially. Uh, that's, I think, the kind of speed that we could anticipate going forward. Uh, but at the moment, uh, I'm not seeing the, the necessary speed, uh, you know, at which uh, we're changing our behavior, we're changing our conversations that actually matter for the preservation of the climate. So does this apply to, you know, whether or not you want to be in a position of leadership in social enterprise, public enterprise or you know, private enterprise, absolutely, because the world has gotten so interconnected and the world has gotten so horizontalized uh, that, you know, what you do in one space actually affects and is affected by what happens in the other space. Mm. I, I think it's interesting that you've you've brought up this uh Lack of urgency from the general public in terms of, you know, our day to day, as you mentioned, I think that's an interesting uh, way to look at the the relationship of speed when it comes to leadership. Now, um, another kind of um, element that uh, has come into play specifically, you know, a lot with uh, obviously COVID-19 and its effect on uh, on the world uh, is agility in terms of the rapid shifts in work and lifestyle globally. In terms of that as well, do you think that's also needed to change in a sort of exponential rate as well? Uh, I'm not so sure uh, if we want to be, you know, exponentially more agile, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm happy to embrace, uh, you know, incrementalism, uh, if not linearity in the way we augment our agility. Uh, and and I've, I've actually seen how companies have been able to, you know, adjust, you know, in the last 10 months, ever since COVID-19 arose, uh, how they've been able to basically virtualize uh, as opposed to staying on physical uh, or physically, right? Whereas some other companies that have not been able to virtualize uh, because they just didn't know how to code or they just didn't know how to recruit people that knew how to code, uh, they basically collapsed. Uh, and uh, many around us, not just in Indonesia, but in, in, in Southeast Asia and the world over, are actually going through some sort of a temporary impairment uh, just because they have not been able to show that sort of incremental, if not linear, you know, uh, agility. Uh, I, I'm actually a bit concerned if we were to, you know, show exponential uh, agility. You know, many of the failures in business have actually resulted from timing issues, you know, mm-hmm. because they got a little too visionary and their vision just was not translatable to the, to the right kind of user experience. And, and to the extent that you become exponentially more agile, you might run into that sort of an issue in terms of your vision actually falling into the right, uh, in, into the wrong time, time d- dimension. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. The sort of last thing that I want, I want to bring up is looking at your, your experience in, in, uh, in public service as well is the the concept of humility. I think that's been something that has had a bit of a highlight in terms of the way that uh, leaders in the public eye conduct themselves. A, a sort of conception of leaders is that, you know, there's this bravado or confidence that you have to portray to the people on, on your team and, and, and such. But humility is also an, a very important element of, of, I guess, striking the right balance, right? So if you could share your thoughts on how humility plays a role in 
uh, being a good leader? Look, I mean, first, first of all, for anybody, you know, in a position of leadership, he or she needs to have very, very lofty visions, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, they've, they've got to have the right kind of optimism. They've got to have the right kind of lofty vision so that they could actually motivate uh, the people around or the people they manage or whoever that's a stakeholder to that narrative, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that, that, I think, is, is, is imperative. Uh, humility, I think, could be defined in two ways, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the typical way of defining humility is that you stay grounded, right? You don't, you don't fly all the time uh, not knowing whether or not, you know, the guys behind you are actually going to be able to follow Right. Right. Uh, and, and the fact that you stay grounded, I think, is, is a reflection or is a way of showing you're being humble. Right. Uh, the other way of defining humility is basically just not needing to BS your way to anybody around you, but just proving it by what you do. Uh, if, if you deliver a product or a service uh, that creates a good user experience. And it could be in any space, okay? It could be in public space, social space, or, you know, private space. If, if you create a product or a service that, that basically entails a fantastic user experience, you don't have to BS your way into anything. You don't have to say anything. And that, that I think, is the other kind of humility. So you can be humble and, and be LeBron James at the same time uh, as long as you dunk that ball into the net, uh, you don't have to say anything mm. and, and you stay with the team. Uh, you, you make sure that, you know, you're being a point guard. Uh, you're actually relevant and everybody around you is relevant to what you do and what you say on court. So that, that I think is humility in two ways. Okay. So essentially, I think from, from this conversation, there's, there's a sort of focus on how, you know, the current younger generations really look to, uh, are looking for, I suppose, a, a longer term vision when it comes to leadership, as well as, you know, the need for honest and, I guess, balanced conversation with the right people, um, which then kind of leads itself to, you know, the authenticity and transparency that we, we, I think, is important for leaders to to take on in their roles. Would you say that's, that's about a good summation of what we've discussed today? Yeah, yeah, in a way, in a way. Yeah, I think I think you got to, yeah, I, I think in, in a way, transparency, you know, integrity, vision, long-term thinking, those are actually, you know, byproducts, if not, you know, ingredients of what it takes to be a good leader. You know, I was just trying to put leadership in a context of humility, right? Mm. And, and I think humility is really about being grounded and, and about delivering the right kind of user experience. You don't have to say anything. You just deliver the product. Mm. And well. if, 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 the use, if, if, if the user experience is as good, if not better than what you anticipated or, or you want it to be, I think that speaks of your leadership in a very humble manner. Okay. Well, on that note, thank you very much uh, to Gita Wijawan for sharing your thoughts on leadership with me today. Thank you, Christine.
All right. You've been listening to Raise Your Game here on BFM. If you have missed any of this podcast, you can download our app that's available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also visit our website, bfm.my slash podcasts, or get us on Spotify or wherever else you listen to podcasts. I'm Christine Wong. This is BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9. The Business Station.